Well, I haven't played the piano in a while. That kind of felt good, actually. I kind of liked it. It's good to see all of you. We're going to continue today in the book of Revelation. Thank you, Gary. And uh, we've been studying this, this book, and uh, it was re- interesting. This past week, I, uh, I met with a pastor that I really respect him a lot, and uh, I hold him in very, very high regard. And I said, he said, what are you preaching on, Brother Ken? And I said, I'm preaching on the book of Revelation with no S. He went, Lord have mercy. He said, I preached for 30 years, and I never would preach that. I would never. So that made me a nervous wreck. And I said, well, why not? Because I said, the book opens up, and you know what it says in the first chapter of this book? It says, blessed are those who read the words of this book and keep them. And so you can't go wrong with that. I mean, come on up in here, like what I'm saying, you know? And so we studied the book of Ephesians last week, and I think these seven churches are absolutely fascinating. There's something in each of these churches, I think, that speaks to each of us. So the background of this book, Revelation, is a book that's written written in apocryphal language. That's a big word. It means it's kind of written in a scripted language. It's cryptic, and the people at the time understood that. And so sometimes when we open it up today, it gets a little confusing to us. So it's really important that we get the background of where they're coming from when they wrote this. It's really important that we understand where they were living, what was going on, and exactly why they wrote what they wrote, okay? Now, here's here's the point that I made last week. I'm going to say this again. I think some of the reason that people run into problems when they read the book of Revelation is because they've never read the rest of the book. How many of you ever check a book out in the library, take it home, and open up to the last chapter and read it first? Yeah, I mean, you don't do that, right? You get the, you get the foundation of it. So, so I would encourage you to, to read the Bible. You know, I, I try to do this every year with a group of people. We do it through the Bible thing. So I would encourage you to read the book. Now, we're going to the second church. Last week we talked about Ephesus. Ephesus was a church that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was preaching. You see the map up there? He was preaching. He was going around. And, and in the book of Acts, you'll see in chapters 18 and 19 that this church was established. Today, we're going to talk about another church, but before we do that, I'm going to take a right turn here, okay? How many of you like fragrances? Yeah, perfume fragrances? My wife burns candles, fragrances, you know, and our ceilings are black. <laughs> I go in there and I'm, <coughs> you know, she loves fragrances. Fragrances are interesting to me. I, I mean, I like fragrances too, different types of fragrances. Did you know that the fragrance business is huge? They spend 36 People spend 36 to $50 billion a year on, on fragrances and, and perfumes. And they spend, the industry spends $880 million a year worldwide advertising fragrances. What in the world is he talking about? He was talking about Revelation, and he just took a, talking about fragrances. What's up with that? Well, I'm glad you ask. This church today is called Smyrna. That's the name. Now, I knew where Smyrna, Tennessee was. You know where it's at, don't you, Dave? This is Smyrna, and it's over in Asia. It's one of the churches. And we got a situation here. we got a man named John. John was a follower of Jesus. He was one of the disciples. And John gets exiled to this island called Patmos. And he gets put out there by himself. He's almost 90 years old. And this isn't like prisons today. This was a dark, dreary place with no carpet. He's in a cave almost. And he's out there, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears to him. And Jesus gives him a revelation. And that's what the first chapter of this book says. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, this is the revelation from Jesus Christ to John. So this is what's going on. And he's telling him things which was happening, which had happened, and which was going to happen. And he writes to Ephesus. And Ephesus is kind of a wealthy town, as we talked about last week. But 
Smyrna is a different kind of a town. I'm talking about perfume because of this. The name Smyrna comes from the original English word, which means myrrh. Hmm. Myrrh. Frankincense and myrrh. Remember that story? And myrrh was something that was a rosin that was taken from trees over in Africa and was uh, transported up into this part of Asia. And this town was thought to have been one of the ports where this came in. And in this town, it was an amazing place. It is, it, when they do the, dug up the ruins, they found out they had a mall. Sounds like us today. They had a mall. And they had all kinds of shops in there. And no doubt they think that they were uh, selling some of this, this stuff called myrrh. But that's the origination of the name, so they think. And this is, the, this is the city of fragrance that we're studying about. It's interesting, interesting story that we look into this. Now, the church is called Smyrna. Um, it's no, located here under the Roman Empire is ruling this. One of the things that we don't know about this church is where it started. I can tell you to turn in Acts and you'll read about Ephesus starting. But this one, we don't know where it came from. They think that it came as Paul was preaching in this area uh, and, and he started a church there. But what happened was as the church started and began to grow, uh, they started getting persecuted. The church of Ephesus had lost their first love. They had gotten into religion and forgot what they were doing. Boy, I'm glad that don't happen today. Woo, close. This church was preaching the gospel, and they began to get persecuted for it. So now we're going to look at this a little bit. We're going to start out here in Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11, and here's what it says. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is, the first and the last, who was dead but now is alive. There's only one of them, and his name is Jesus. That's not up there. I'm just giving you a little insert. I know about your suffering and your poverty. This is what he's telling this church. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich! Exclamation point. Wow. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they're Jews, but they're not. Because their synagogue belongs to Satan. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? That's pretty hardcore. The devil, uh, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. That's a key line right there. Don't be afraid about what you're about, about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you in prison to test you, but if you remain faithful even when facing death, I'll give you a crown of life. Anyone who hears this must listen to the Spirit. Anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Scripture. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus that loves us. Thank you that he is the hope of the world, Father. And as we proclaim his message today, I pray you give me the gift of preaching. And I pray that your Holy Spirit speaks to those in this room today. That we will all be better, closer to you when we leave. And I pray it in the precious name of Jesus and everybody together said, amen. So if you start out at Ephesus where we were last week and you go 35 miles north, you find this city. In this city was a lot of shops, but this city, the Christians were poverty stricken. They were very poor. There was a street in this city. It was called the Golden Street, and in ancient times, it was supposed to be the most beautiful, beautiful street at the time. If you Google it and look it up, you'll see that the city, the rocks are still there. And they rode on this city so much that there's buggy marks, or that's what I call buggy marks. Maybe they were chariots back then, but they have wheel marks where it was such a busy street. On this street, there were multiple, multiple temples. In these temples, they worshipped pagan gods. They worshipped Apollo and Aphrodite. It was a cultured city that we're talking about. Very rich people, very poor people. 
They had a wonderful library. This is the birthplace of Homer. Some of you school teachers, I'm not going to get into that too deep because you know more about that than I do, but I did find that out. And you know what? Here's the cool thing. It's Super Bowl Sunday, they tell me. <laughs> well, those of you that don't know me, I'm not a sports guy, and they all laugh at me because I, I, I mispronounce the sports guys' names when I say it, and they get a big kick out of me. But, but it's interesting because when we study this ancient culture, guess what? Last week, they had a stadium that seated a huge amount of people. And this, this week, we study these guys, and they have a huge stadium as well. It's a huge stadium. And so this is all like very similar to what we are, you know, in terms of, of the way that they live. But here's the deal. There was an empire that was over top of all of this. Now, this is what we got to get a hold of right here. So we got all these little churches, little cities. But above all of this, if you were to pull back, you got the Roman government and they're in charge of it. Okay? There was a great diversity of religion. We've mentioned that. Their goal was, uh, from the Roman perspective, was to universalize everybody. You follow the Roman order, you can worship whatever you want to as long as you follow us and you keep us, and there's no, nobody ruffling the feathers, everything's cool. So this goes on like this, and so everything was cool. If you were in that, they protected your business, so they thought. They, they also took care of them. Uh, it was a wonderful thing, and this concept came up called Pax Roma, Pax Romana, or Roman peace. However, it came with a price. Think about this. In Rome, the goddess they had was de Roma. Roma was a female de deity who personified the city. You add to this, they were worshiping the Roman thing. They didn't care if you, if you worshiped something else, but you had to have loyalty to this. Do you follow me? And so here's the deal. They come into Smyrna, and they said, Caesar is Lord. Say it with us. And the Christians wouldn't do it. Because the Christians had experienced in their heart and knew there was only one Lord. And his name Jesus Jesus and they were Jesus first and that's exactly what they did they got persecuted because they wouldn't say Caesar is Lord every year they would go to these temples in the community the culture of the time and they would pinch a piece of incense and they would burn it on an altar and they would say Caesar is Lord and then they would walk away and they could go worship whatever they wanted to as long as they showed loyalty and didn't get this you know out of control Christians wouldn't do that you can see right out of the gate there's a conflict here. Something's going to go awry, right? So they begin to put their thumb down on them. There's an obvious thing going on. And the Christians in Smyrna suffered as a result of their not bending and not compromising. Plato said about cities, there's only two cities in every city, the city of the rich and the city of the poor. There were extremely rich people in this culture, you guys, phenomenally rich. In fact, I read an account where there was a wedding where the bride and the dress and the jewels and everything in that wedding was 600 thousand dollars and I thought my daughter's weddings were high <laughs> wow I'm glad I didn't live in this era right it's amazing so we see this and we see this passage of scripture we got the characters I've covered a lot and I know I talk fast but we got the revelation of Jesus to John on an island to the church at Smyrna you with me and he speaks these words to them he says to them I know I know you are suffering and your poverty. I know this, but you are rich. What? Why would he say that to them? There was no doubt the difficult situation. There was no doubt they were suffering. Here we have a picture of an unending crushing afflictions. They were being persecuted for their faith. They were being mocked and made fun of. Anybody ever been made fun of because you're a Christian? The religious folks even of the time the ones who went to the temples and to all these things, the religious people belittled them and made fun of them. And you know, sometimes that happens to us, doesn't it? We get it from the outside and we get it from the inside. 
And as a result, we go, why? Why is this happening? And I'm sure that some of these folks were feeling the same thing. It was overwhelming to them. And the question was coming about, why? Why is this happening? But they didn't bend. They did not give up. And who is God that's allowing this to happen? You know, i got to tell you, there's been times in my life when something's happened and I've asked that question. But I want to tell you something. God knows what we're going through and he knows when we hurt. And you and I are not alone. Neither were were the folks in Smyrna. They weren't alone. He said, I know. I know your suffering. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 15, look at this. It says, so then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Let's hold on to it. The high priest of ours understands our weakness. Catch this. He understands our weakness, for he faces all of the same testings we do, yet with no sin. Now, here's the thing I love about Christianity. This is amazing. We don't serve a God that's out there. That's the, I mean, he is out there. He's the beyond, but he doesn't stay out there. And he didn't stay out there. We serve a God that came right in the middle of, of all of it got his hands dirty, got right in the middle of it. You know what he did? He reached out to people. And that's the kind of God we serve. Not only was he the one that reached out to people, but every single thing that you and I experienced, he experienced it. Yet without sin. You ever think about that? And so it's a beautiful thing when we pray to our Lord to know that he knows what we're going through and what we've been through. He was abused by the outside. He was mocked from the inside. He was crucified, made fun of, yet he was without sin. So look at this, verse 16 in Hebrews, it says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Not only does he understand what we got, but come boldly to him, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. Can I get an amen on that? You experienced that? You go through something, and you're just overwhelming, and you cry out to God and say, God, help me. And grace is on the way. Jesus answered the question with a perspective we must understand, and that is that he was the son of God. He came to earth and experienced the same things we did, and he knows when he says, I know you're suffering, he truly knows it. We can be reminded that Jesus died, but he lives again. And so we as his followers have that hope. And we must remember that the best is yet to come. And that's what he's telling these folks in Smyrna. The best is yet to come. The reminder of Jesus' death and resurrection puts the suffering and death of many in the church at Smyrna in perspective. Jesus goes on to say, I know your poverty, but you are rich. Unlike the church we studied last week, this church was a little bit poorer. And there's possible reason, speculation as to why they were poor, because one of the speculation was that they were Christians, and they gave what they had to the poor, and they gave and they reached out, and they gave to their church, and they gave to their church, and they, and they served. Wow, what a concept. I mean, really, if you think about it. The other thing was that they were poor because their businesses, they didn't bow down to Rome, their businesses floundered, and people didn't deal with them. Persecuted. I know your poverty, he says, but I know you're rich. And so, in being financially poor, you're made rich. Next thing, he says, I know the blasphemy and the slander. You see, the early Christians were mocked. They were made fun of. And we know the early writers, they talked about eating and drinking the body of Christ. 
the early believers when they were talking about communion. Rome, the church, the Roman people made fun of this church. You know what they said? They said, those Christians down there in Smyrna, they're cannibals. They mocked them because of what they were doing. They didn't understand it. Have you ever been made fun of for being a Christian? <laughs> it's, uh, it's not funny, is it? It's not fun either. I got the nickname the church lady. How special. Some of you all don't remember what I'm talking about, don't you? <laughs> but you know what? It got to the point where I wore it with dignity and I wore it with pride because those guys knew. And they knew. It wasn't that I was that good. They respected me. Not because I was that good of a person, because I'm not. But they respected me because I believed what I believed and I stood for it. In fact, some of those folks came to me and said, hey, man, I got somebody I need you to pray for. <laughs> and I said, church lady, got it. I'd be honored to pray for you. Persecuted, slandered, but they kept the faith pressing forward. You see, when we see this slander and persecution, another thing we have to remember is sometimes it comes from within. Do you see what I'm saying? This, the persecution can come from within, and this is the part that hurts. I, I was talking to a guy one time when I was pastor down in Tennessee, and a guy said to me, he said, you know, I joined the church, but here's the thing. The church are the only ones I've ever seen that bury their wounded. And I said, what, what, what does that mean? And I got it. I, he had explained it to me, but I got it. And that's a sad state of affairs when people look at us that we, you know, uh, jump on each other. We're supposed to walk in unity. This church would have never made it had they not walked in unity. We need to be reminded about that as brothers and sisters in the Lord. You know what? You may not see things exactly like I do, but if we're trusting Jesus, we're going to walk together. And we need to walk together and be a little more patient with each other sometimes maybe and show grace. It's hard enough to deal with opposition from the outside. Jesus said, I know the blasphemy and the slander. He knew all of our struggles. He didn't guess about them. And we could take that for what it says. He knows. He knew because he was here. It was the religious at the time that were the hardest on him, if you think about it. Just as the early Christians were persecuted and struggled with it, it goes today. Do you realize we sat here today in Boone County in Kentucky. We're in one of the fastest growing counties in the state. I believe I've been told that, and I think that's still true. I know it was at one point. And we're so blessed. How about our new sanctuary paint and colors and all this stuff? Is this not beautiful, what God's doing in our church? Hello? Yeah. I mean, look at this. This is gorgeous. We're sitting here comfortable. We're warm. But you know what's going on? Last year, according to the Center for, Centers, uh, for Studies and New Religion, 90,000 Christians were killed for their beliefs worldwide. It was an all-time record high. The study also said that as many as 600 million Christians were prevented from practicing their faith in 2016. We are rich. Doesn't matter what's in our bank account today, we are rich because we're able to come here and do what we do. It's thought that within 100 years of this writing that we just talked about, there was a man whose name was Polycarp. He was a disciple of John. He was one of the pastors of the first church. They've read this passage of Scripture. They've studied the Scripture. This man is 100 years later going on, and he's preaching. And because he wouldn't bow down, they come to get him. They come to the church to get him. You know what he did? He invites them in for something to eat and have something to drink with him. <laughs> Kevin, somebody came to me, was going to arrest me for being a Christian. I'm not sure the first thing on my mind would be, hey, come on in, let's have some beans and cornbread. 
you know what I'm saying? Really? That's what he did. And they said, all right, we'll give you a little time. You know what he did for the two hours of time that they gave him? He prayed. And then they took him. And they said, all you have to do is just say, you know, Lord, to something else. And he said, I'm not doing that. I'm almost, I'm 86 years old. I've followed the Lord all these years. You think I'm going to do this now? I'm not going to do this. And they said, well, and you know what's, you know what's in store? And he did it with grace, amazing grace, so much so that the people in the world around at that time, many were converted because of his faith. You see, sometimes we have to get perspective on life. I have to be reminded myself. Look at what he says in verse 10. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Polycarp, the man I just told you about, had heard this. No doubt he had studied this. He had seen what had happened in the past. We all face suffering in our lives. It's part of the world that we live in. It's part of it. Suffering's sure to come. But here's the thing. We need to change our perspective when that happens, and we can do that because of that cross. Somebody say amen. I read a story about a man who was in, uh, on D-Day, and they, was, they were talking about what happened over there. And one of them was a foot soldier. The other was a pilot. And he said, that when they asked the foot soldier, what do you think? Were they going to be able to win? He said, I said, there's no way we can win this. And when they asked the pilot, he said, we got it. And see, the difference was the foot soldier was on the ground. He couldn't see it all, but the pilot could. And I want to tell you something today. you got a pilot, and his name is Jesus Christ, and we are going to win. How to preach right there. Be of good cheer. Be of hope. Yes, I know. I know Things in this world hurt. I know that things come along that knock a wind out of us. We serve a God that had a son that went through the same thing, experienced it all like we did, but we can find hope and we can find power. You see, the book of Revelation doesn't scare me because I'll tell you what the theme of the book of Revelation is. It's the theme of the whole rest of the book, and that's that cross in Jesus. And we win. And we win. Be encouraged today. And so when we're going through that, our identity is in Jesus as his followers. That's what they identified as. Here's something I want to tell, tell you. This, I was reading it. This is so, I, this, I thought this was funny. Where's my funny? They're the ones that like to laugh. Over here, they're the laughing. Here's something, here's some sayings that you would never hear Jesus say. Ready? Boy, I didn't see that coming. That's a total shock to me. You got to be kidding. And here's the last one that you probably never hear Jesus say. Run that by me again. In all due respect, God knows. He knows you, and he knows what tomorrow brings, and all we need is for today. And so don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, because Jesus knows exactly what you and I are going through today, here, right now, even in the midst of our trials and tribulations. The church at Smyrna was a suffering church. They were a hurting church. John wrote this letter that Jesus gave him to give hope. They were not abandoned. Neither are you today. Neither are you. Look around you. There are people around you today that love you. I don't understand. I do not understand how people make it without a support group. I'm serious, man. That's why we hammer these small groups. That's why we hammer getting connected. Because you know what? When we come in here on Sunday, it's beautiful, isn't it? I love to hear you. You ought to stand up here on the front row and hear you all sing. It's amazing. There's plenty of seats up here too, by the way. And when we sing and I walk out there and I see you talking and I see you sharing with each other and we carry each other's burdens, it doesn't mean we agree on everything, does it? doesn't mean that we necessarily, I mean, look at the way we dress. Look at our cars. We're all different human beings. 
But yet we come together in one body, in one core, in one spirit, and that's to serve Jesus and to accomplish his purposes. Notice what he says about this suffering thing. He goes on and says that, that you will suffer, and he says you will suffer for 10 days. Now here's some of that cryptic language. Now, we have phrases that we say in this time frame, in this age, you know, like back when I was a teenager, man, it was like groovy. Far out, dude. Right? I mean, we have phrases that we use. Come on, Mike, you remember the 70s, man. <laughs> you were there with me, weren't you, brother? And we have these sayings. This is a phrase that was used in their culture. It says, you will suffer for 10 days. If you read your Bible and you go back into the book of Daniel, when Daniel was brought before the king, he said, give us 10 days. Give us 10 days to eat what we want. It was a phrase. It was a saying. But here's the beauty of this phrase, okay? Here's the beauty of this phrase. It had a short meaning. It was a short time frame, but there was an end to it. Nine, ten, it's over. They looked at this. They understood this. And I want you to understand this, that you, whatever you're going through today, it will not last forever. Hope is on the way. Hope is on the way. When you look at the time we spend on earth, and, the and I'm not trying to minimize this. Please don't misunderstand this. When you look at the time we spend on earth and you put eternity in front of it, I'm going to spend a whole lot more time over there than I am here. And then look at this. Look what happens next. He says, you will receive a crown of life. Now, this is another cultural thing. You guys all laughed at me because I'm not a sports person. You know, whenever you, win some, whenever you win in this culture that we're in, what do you get? I think that's what they give you because I never got one, but I think that's what you get. Your athletes, all you guys, I bet some of you guys got like, you know, that's cool. I'm happy for you. Good deal. <laughs> no, seriously, that is something to be proud of, something to be very proud of. In this culture, if you won and you were victorious, they gave you a crown. It was a wreath, a crown. They knew what it was. And when he's talking to them and he says, you will receive a crown of life. Wow, that put a whole new perspective on it for these folks in this little church in Smyrna. Don't give up, because the best is yet to come. Put it in perspective. It was a garland of leaves that was placed on the head of the victor in competition. Smyrna was particularly well known for this tradition. As we are pressing toward the goal, and in the end, all the struggles, the trials, and the heartaches, they will be worth it. I grew up in church. Didn't always go to church, but I grew up in church. We used to sing a song that kind of puts that in perspective about putting things in perspective. Some of you will remember this. It says, just one glimpse of him in glory will the toils of life repay. Can you imagine? When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And when we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout for victory. The Bible says that the streets are gold. The most precious thing that we have here on this planet, your feet are going to walk on because of that. The walls are jasper. Gates are pearl. Oh, that's cool, man. That's all that's really cool. I mean, can you imagine? But here's the thing. In the middle of that will be Jesus, the Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We'll see him face to face. And we'll see those who have gone on before us who loved Jesus and walked with him, and, and we'll be together forever. Yeah, that's really cool. 
So here's the take home today. Jesus gives us hope from the beginning to the end. Jesus says he will give us life, and it's eternal life. Notice this passage that we read when we started in the second chapter. It says this. It says, starts with the one who is and who is to come. There will be persecution, but we are not alone, and there is eternal hope because of Christ. Jesus opens this letter identifying himself as the resurrected Lord, and he ends by passing the promise of the resurrection on to you and I. It's interesting that a city that was known for fragrance, the city that was the suffering church, someone said that the way the Christians at Smyrna endured all the tragedy and suffering was to stay focused on the sweet fragrance of Jesus the Savior. Today we read this scripture and we wonder about what would we do or how would we react to be suffering. We must be faithful to God. Here's something that I've learned. Here's something that I have learned and I've experienced this. God doesn't give me strength to face the problems that I don't have. God does not give me strength to face the problems I don't have. This is what I learned. This is my opinion, but this is what I've learned. But here it is. He has given me strength to face every problem that I've had and that I face. It's not always been easy, and it won't be easy in the future, but he gives us grace and he gives us strength. It's when I trusted him that he did that. He's encouraging the church to do this. He's encouraging them to draw close. I'm not saying that it doesn't hurt. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But when it hurts, that's when God has given us and can give us the strength to get through it. He said, in the world you will have tribulation. He said that in John 14. But here's the deal. It didn't stop right there. He said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Somebody ought to be saying amen about that. That's just really, that's just, I don't care what you say, it's good. I want to close with this today. This is a, a quote from Dr. Howard Hendricks, the professor at Dallas Seminary. And he gives us an amazing thing about life and the perspective, because that's what we're really talking about, the church at Smyrna, looking for things that were eternal, dealing with the things that are here. Here's what he says. The amazing thing is not that we die. The amazing thing is that we live. We think we are in the land of living on our way to the land of the dying. Nothing could be further from the truth, because we're in the land of the dying on our way to the land of the living because of Jesus. The scripture says in this passage, and it'll say in each one of them each week, whoever has ears to hear, listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. I pray that you're encouraged today. I pray that you find encouragement from the story of the church at Smyrna, because they, like us, everything wasn't perfect, but God is, and he is there for them, and he'll be there for you today. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this scripture. Thank you for this book. Um, it's just overwhelming. <laughs> it's just so powerful, Lord, the spirit that's in this. We know it's truth and it's your spirit. And we are thankful, Lord, that we can be encouraged that this isn't all there is. And that you have something for us to do here. That's why we're here. And when the time is up, that we will be in your presence. Thank you, God, for giving us grace and mercy to go through the things that we endure in this life. I pray for those that are hurting today, that are broken, as we've all been there and have been there and will be there at times. 
by your grace and mercy, God, we will make it through. We love you. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus and the inspiring things that we've seen done through your spirit in things of the past. It gives us hope for things in the future. We ask your blessing on this time, and we pray it in the precious name of Jesus. And everybody together says.